Hello and welcome to Health Matters. I'm your host and radio health evangelist, Dr. Tony Weaver. This is the So Long and Thanks for All the Fish show. Our chance to say a fond farewell uh, over the summer break for Health Matters. Thanks to our listeners at True Talk Internet Radio and a special radio wave to those hardworking folks at the MSU Ronald G. Eaglin Space Science Center. We are proud of you. And before we start the show, we will remind ourselves we will get through this show. We will get through Health Matters together. Can you say it with me? We, we will, will get, get through, through this show. show. We, will we will get, get through, through this, this show, show together. together. Maybe. Possibly. I sense uh, a waning enthusiasm, which is uh, what Wait a our governor... How has it been different than any other week with me? <laughs> <laughs> not waning at all. <laughs> well, hey, so far we've made it, right? So. Yeah. We've gotten through the other shows. I see no reason this one would be any. I, I'm okay with doing it once. I just can't take the second time. Okay. <laughs> with me, my co medical host, first of all, from the University of Kentucky Physician Assistant Program, Assistant Professor Shelley Irving. Hi, Shelley. Hello. And from the UK, Executive Director of Networking and Infrastructure, Rick Phillips, to talk with you about how to find us on the internet. Hey, Rick. Hey, Tony. You know you can get the audio of the show at WMKY.org. That's Morehead State Public Radio's website. You have to find Health Matters, and then that uh, that portion of the website has a list of shows. They're the most recent shows we've done. There's a summary in there, and in there there's also a link to the audio. You can download the show. You can listen to it. You can save it. Uh, you can listen to it again. You can sign up for the podcast and have it delivered to you automatically. Uh, again, if you want the audio or you want to want to hear portions of the show maybe you missed, that's the place to go get the show. Uh, after that, it's time to interact with the show. We've got a fan page over on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash HM radio show. And again, there you can interact with the, the cast and the crew, uh, leave messages, uh, give us some feedback. Let's talk about, you know, what's in the media. What, what do you have questions about? Uh, was Tony's joke funny or was it not? Or, you know, Hey, or, why do you guys get to take a summer break and we don't? You know, there's all kinds of things you can ask on Facebook. But again, it is your way to interact with the the, the cast and the crew. And again, you can find that fan page at facebook.com slash show. Our sponsor, the American Cancer Society Guidelines for Diet and Physical Activity. The American Cancer Society on June 9th published a set of guidelines on diet and physical activity to avoid cancer. Uh, and we thought it would be useful for us to remind you of these guidelines. They're fairly simple. There's only four things that they want you to do, and we will go over those during the show. First of all, just a reminder, this is diet and physical activity to avoid cancer. The number one thing that you can do to avoid cancer is not to smoke, or if you do smoke, is stop smoking, or if you know someone who smokes, get them to stop smoking and save their life. This would be the single best thing you can do for a person's health, it is still the number one preventable cause of death and disease, including the number one preventable cause of cancer. Second, this may surprise you, but maintaining a healthy body weight. That is their first recommendation. Achieve and maintain a healthy body weight throughout life. Uh, keep weight within the healthy range and avoid weight gain late in adult life because this has been linked to a number of cancers. In 2000, an expert panel report showed sufficient evidence that excess body fatness caused cancers of the breast, endometrium, kidney, esophagus, colon, and rectum. In 2016, this list was expanded to show that excess body fat caused cancers of the stomach, liver, gallbladder, pancreas, ovary, and thyroid, as well as multiple myeloma and meningioma. Other cancers have been linked, but the, uh, the 
level of causation, not quite as strong as these, but it is very important. Obesity is the second leading cause of cancer behind cigarette smoking. So achieve and maintain a healthy body weight throughout life is their number one recommendation. Number two, be physically active. Uh, up to 300 minutes of moderate intensity, 150 minutes of vigorous intensity physical activity per week. Uh, children and adolescents, at least an hour of vigorous, moderate vigorous activity every day. And limit your sedentary behavior. This has been linked, uh, sedentary behavior has been linked to colon cancer, physical activity, lower risk of colon cancer. That's the really the, the strong link they've got there. And then three uh, uh, is uh, follow healthy eating pattern in all ages. We'll talk more about that next fractional portion. And four, it is best not to drink alcohol. That's our sponsor, the American Cancer Society Guidelines for Diet and Physical Activity. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is not necessarily a, an amazing thing that you're going, a take-home message for your health. This was just shocking. <laughs> Literally. Shocking. Shocking. Yeah, this was the May issue of New Scientist is where I found this. Um, now, we know there's something called electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT. It's electroshock therapy. And this is something that they used to use a long time ago for mental illness, uh, schizophrenia and depression mainly. And uh, this was this was horrendous, right? This it, was, it didn't go very well, no. 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 Um, Great theory, but application. Yeah, and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Uh, you know, they've uh, uh, they uh, uh, other than uh, lobotomies, one of the one of the most horrible things that happened was they would shock people and basically make them have a seizure. Well, uh, it worked. That's the problem. It yeah. is barbaric, but it worked. So if we use paralyzing agents, uh, anesthetics, and so forth, uh, and induce that seizure in the brain only. It turns out we can treat refractory mental illnesses that uh, do not respond well to medicines. Uh, so this was uh, a case out of uh, the psychiatric center in uh, uh, Copenhagen in Denmark. Uh, they offered treatment to a 30-year-old woman who had been experiencing severe symptoms of postnatal depression. She had been depressed since the birth of her child. Uh, that six months before. Uh, they tried group therapy. They tried antidepressants, uh, and the woman kept deteriorating. She had to go in the hospital. She became suicidal. She was deteriorating in the hospital, so uh, they felt that uh, uh, the best course was to try ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, electric shock therapy. After her sixth treatment, she mentioned to them that her color vision seemed to have changed. She was born red-green colorblind, and now she could pick out red berries on a green bush for the first time. It, uh, after a morning treatment, she could distinguish colors in the afternoon and evening, but the following morning, she was back to red-green colorblind. Interesting. So it brought color into her world. Now they, So what they did, which is pretty smart, they did a classic test for red-green colorblindness. You may remember this test. It's got a bunch of dots, and uh, there is a, the red dots in the middle of this thing form a number or an image uh, surrounded by green dots. And so if you have red-green colorblind, you, you can't, can't tell that. You can't part. tell what it is. Uh, she uh, made 30 mistakes out of 36 uh, before the treatment. No, she really was colorblind. Then uh, she, an hour after the treatment, she made 15 <laughs> mistakes. So she's not cured, and it doesn't last, but her color gets better. Now, the interesting thing about that is we thought colorblindness was caused by a problem in the retina, a lack of cones in the retina. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a mechanism whereby anything you do to the brain would reverse colorblindness. Right. But she passed those tests. Um, 
Now, it may be uh, a difference in the way uh, the brain cells perceives uh, signals from the eye. It may be that uh, just improving her depression, um, people who are depressed see the world in, literally see the world in black and white. So maybe it was that. Um, maybe then it was just that she had a better mood, and so she started uh, thinking and seeing in color, sort of like Dorothy and uh, the Wizard of Oz. I don't know. Maybe so. I thought that was amazing. That is. It's it's pretty pretty unremarkable. It makes you wonder. It it makes you really think about her original diagnosis of red green color blindness, right? Did was she truly? Red, red, green, colorblind, the way we think about it, in the eye, or did she have this clinical depression? See, you know. I, my problem is, if that's the case, then people who are depressed will run a red light. They're more likely to run a red light. If they, if they see everything in gray, then, uh, you know, they, they can't pick up warning lights or things like that. Yeah, but you don't think the location of the light means anything? Well... So you're saying, look, the top light, whatever color you see it, the top right. gray light turns. Uh, You'll learn bright. that that red is the red you always see. Yeah. Well, I guess that's why the traffic lights are always, you know, they're, they're I mean, always... sometimes they lay them down vertical or horizontally, but most of the time they're vertical. I don't know. Just curious. I, I think a stoplight, maybe I just rained on your parade because that was maybe a bad example. But there, there, there probably are examples. I think I know what you mean, though, is has red always looked red as, you know. Yeah. Well, and it may be more complicated than simply not having cones. Uh, right. That is, if she could, she didn't, uh, you know, she didn't do great on the test, but uh, she basically doubled her number of, uh, she halved her number of mistakes after uh, uh, getting the electroconvulsive therapy. So I thought that was something. Mm -hmm. Speaking of something, I'll give you another something. <clears throat> this was New York Post, June 9th. Um, since New York has reopened, uh, there are drink windows. They sell to-go cocktails and beers. Um, and... Uh, also, of course, there have been some uh, protests, Black Lives Matter protests in New York. The problem is most of the bathrooms in New York are still closed. Okay. That's a People, problem. That is a problem. Um, is the park still open? Well, <laughs> that's one of the places they go. that out there. Um, Restaurants, bars, coffee shops in New York could always, uh, uh, where they, uh, people in New York could always find relief in the past of closed restrooms for the public. Uh, and many people don't feel safe going into germ-infested public restrooms. Uh, in 2017, New York City introduced a Criminal Justice Reform Act, which decriminalized low-level offenses such as public urination. Uh, so uh, the concern is that New York may yep, end up being a public sewer. Yeah. Um, uh, one Brooklynite says, uh, when I'm out for a bike ride, I won't drink water because I know I have to go to the bathroom and there are no options. Uh, I have to think about my liquid intake when I go out, which is uh, interesting. We don't, we don't have that problem in rural America. No. You know, it's funny because well, we don't it have ebbs smell. and flows. I mean, we, go, we, we don't necessarily have bathrooms, but we, we, we don't have the smell oh. because... right. I'm just saying it ebbs and flows with what what you know the 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 denser you know urban populations versus the rural. It's there are times where it's people really prefer the urban area. And then boy, this whole COVID thing has really made rural America look better. There is a Twitter account uh, at Open Your Lobby, which urged museums and theaters to make their bathrooms available, and they now have a spreadsheet 
of available toilets in New York City. And you can check that on your phone and determine where the nearest restroom is. Tony, let me let me put you in a scenario. If you were in a scenario like that, would you ever go into a restroom without actually using that service or facility? Or you know, you go into a gas station, you you kind of feel obligated to, to buy something by buy gas. Something. Yeah. yeah. You know, you go into yeah. the museum. I would think you'd want to be a patron of the museum. Yeah, um, but the museums are all closed. What they want them to do is just to say, look, all right, you can't uh, go around to the art exhibits, but you can zip in and out well, of the restaurant. What I'm just saying is, is if it was a normal times, they'd. I would think you'd want to use the facilities, whatever it offers as a public service for fee, yeah. Uh, you'd, before you take advantage of their their free restroom service, right? Yeah, I think. That's and so what I think I this think. is kind of this, this is, is kind of a great opportunity for somebody to open restrooms that uh, uh, they charge you money, but they got high flow ventilation and they're clean very frequently. You know, and it's funny because I believe it's uh, well, we may have to get into this later because <laughs> I think we're running out of time. Right. So why don't you hold it? Literally. And we will come back with our second fractional portion. You're listening to Health Matters on Morehead State Public Radio. Hello and welcome back. This is the second fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Shelley Irving. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver, and this is the So Long and Thanks for All the Fish show, our final show before we take our summer hiatus. Our sponsor for the second time, American Cancer Society Guidelines for Diet and Physical Activity. And so we talked uh, last time about these uh, uh, about these guidelines, and I want to hit number three and number four uh, today. First of all, number one, uh, achieve and maintain a healthy body weight throughout life. Obesity has been uh, shown to cause, to actually cause, a fairly significant number of cancers uh, to raise your risk for them, and uh, we... Uh, strongly recommend you do your best to uh, achieve as close as you can to a normal, healthy body weight. Uh, two, be physically active, uh, and they follow the American Heart Association guidelines, 300 minutes of moderate intensity activity per week. That is uh, basically um, an hour a day, five days a week, or 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous physical activity. Also, children and adolescents, at least an hour of moderate or, physical or vigorous intensity activity each day. And limit sedentary behavior such as uh, sitting, lying down, watching television, and screen-based entertainment. Now, number three was follow a healthy eating pattern at all ages. And that healthy eating pattern includes foods that are high in nutrients, a variety of vegetables, dark green, red, orange, and fiber-rich legumes such as beans and peas, fruits, especially whole fruits in a variety of color, not fruit juices, specifically not fruit juices, but fruits, and then whole grains. A healthy eating pattern limits or does not include red and processed meats, sugar-sweetened beverages, highly processed foods. Uh, read that again. A healthy eating pattern either limits or does not include at all red and processed meats, sugar-sweetened beverages, or highly processed foods. And then number four, it is best. This is the words of the American Cancer Society. It is best not to drink alcohol. If you do decide to drink, uh, limit to one drink per day for women, two drinks per day per, for men. Alcohol, established cause of at least seven types of cancer. Since 1987, it has been classified as a carcinogen. And yes, there are a lot of things classified as a carcinogen, some of which are very difficult to avoid. Alcohol, um, depending on your orientation toward life, uh, may not necessarily be one of those things. It is not... Uh, there is not a healthy level of alcohol where cancer is concerned. We've talked about, well, maybe alcohol would be good for your heart. Uh, but uh, in terms of cancer, uh, pretty much any alcohol is a problem. That is our sponsor, 
the American Cancer Society guidelines for diet and physical activity. Now, we were talking last time about one of the effects of COVID-19 is many of the publicly available restrooms in New York City have closed. And um, what do you do? Uh, you know, first of all, uh, I, I agree with Rick. I don't like the idea of using a bathroom in a business without Con- consuming the business's services. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I have had circumstances where I say, all right, I'll just buy something uh, to try to. to uh, if I really got to go back, you know, showing our age, it was worth a pack of gum. Yeah. Something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got thoughts, though. And well, I might want to waste your thoughts. I mean, you know, Tony, I, this is a tough thing because, you know, again, I believe that as a small business or a large business or, any, you know, there is a cost associated with keeping your restrooms open and clean. And just to expect, and even if you say, okay, well, maybe a museum, well, museum's probably not government. Um, the, the, you know, you start looking at these public facilities, like maybe, a, maybe it's a government office building. I, I'm, I'm not sure our tax dollars are set up to pay for public use of the restroom for anybody who's not a traditional patron of that office need, right? So if you were going to deal with your, Social Security request, and you were in a Social Security office, and they had public restrooms. Obviously, you would use the public restrooms, because you know you might have to wait or whatever. You're in the waiting room, but just to come in because you're out on a bike ride, and I'm going to use the Social Security office because I need a place to go. I don't know. There is a part of me that says that that's not a real use of of what we should be our pet our tax dollars should be paying for. Yes, we're in a lockdown. Yes, it's unconven- it's inconvenient. Yes, it's inconveniencing lots of people in lots of ways. I'm sorry it affects your bike ride. Yeah. I, I, I mean, boy, that's tough to say, but I, again, if your store is open and they have their restrooms open, you should buy something and, and let that business earn money to help pay for taking care of those restrooms. Just to say we should open restrooms for no reason at all other than for public use with no revenue stream around trying to keep those open. I don't know. It sounds wrong to me. I I agree with you. I think you said there's an opportunity for somebody to actually open a four fee public restroom to cover the cost of cleaning. And, you know, I've I've visited uh, the San Francisco area down near Fisherman's Wharf, and they have some of these outdoor restrooms that literally cost you put money in. And when you're done, they, they have a door that kind of automatically spins open and then it closes. And I believe, based on what you're hearing, is it's flushing the inside on all sides, right? It's kind of cleaning the room. Uh, it seems to me a perfect opportunity for some technology like that to, to give you a, a, a public restroom that can clean itself after each use. Yeah, I think the, the restrooms of the future, they're going to have to be uh, uh, some form of self-clean, but also high airflow. Correct. You know, I think is is going to be a big issue. Shelly, where do you sit on this? I I, I agree. <laughs> no pun I mean, intended. Yeah, really. If <laughs> if if I could if I could have a a throne room, if you will, that <laughs> that will clean itself, sanitize itself, and that's heavily you know heavily ventilated, that would be uh, fantastic. And you know, it, and and you you hear these stories sometimes on the news about these portable showers so i mean there's a lot of opportunity for for some enterprising individuals to um to make some make some money and and provide a good service it will be i think an ongoing concern probably for the next six months anyway 
Well, until uh, I mean, really, when you, when you travel, you have to uh, to think about this. But everywhere. I think, the, yeah. Tony, this is going to be an issue until we get a definitive, confirmed working uh, vaccine. Vaccine, right? I think so. I mean, that, that, it's it's just going to everybody's going to be somewhere in the fear index from zero to ten, you know, until we get a vaccine out there, and then there may still be people after the vaccine that and, feel that way. And if anybody, any enterprising people need some test subjects to test a self-cleaning bathroom, I, I'll give you my address. Just just contact us. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, from Tara Parker Pope, the founding editor of Well, the New York Times award-winning consumer health site. Um, she published on June 9th what I thought were, was some of the best writing I have seen on what we need to do to get through this pandemic. And there were five rules to live by during a pandemic. Uh, so I, I really like this. Uh, rule number one uh, is to check the health of your state and community. That is, you've got to know what you're getting into, uh, where you live or, if you're about to travel, where you travel. Uh, and she said there are two things you need to pay attention to, the percentage of tests that are positive and the trend in case rates. Uh, when the positive test rates stay at 5% or lower for two weeks, that suggests there's adequate testing in your state to get the virus transmission under control. You're less likely to cross paths with it. The closer the number is to 2%, the better. The last time I checked Kentucky's numbers, which uh, admittedly was about 10 days ago, uh, we were 2.5%. So, you know, we are under 5%. Um, and that's where she felt it should be. And it makes sense. You need to know if you're about to travel into an area of either uncontrolled transmission or high-level transmission, uh, that might change your, your approach uh, to uh, uh, getting out in public or might even uh, make you decide not to travel. So that's number one. You've got to know where the epidemic is worse, where the, uh, uh, where the pandemic is worse, where the pandemic is not as bad. Number two, Limit your close contacts. Obviously, you're safest with members of your household. But if you want to widen your circle uh, to family or friends, keep the number of close contacts as low and consistent as possible. And she mentioned something called a corona bubble. Uh, two households form an exclusive social circle agreeing on safety guidelines and to see only each other. So, again, if you've got uh, children that are dating, uh, kids that are playing together, these are your best friends. Uh, you say, all right, you know, we're going to socialize with you, provided you don't socialize with a whole bunch of other people. It's not, it sounds a, like a reasonable plan. It does, but that's a strange conversation to have, isn't it? Yeah. It, with your she, neighbor, yeah. She yeah. says it requires a high level of trust. Uh, what are reasonable precautions? Uh, and she mentions you really have to count the number of potential leaks and make it so that uh, this is open and without judgment. So somebody says, well, you know, we, uh, uh, our, our son uh, went, to, uh, uh, went out with a couple of his friends last week, uh, and, and you need to know that before you decide if you're going to continue the corona bubble. But uh, I think especially in the summertime, you know, we can do outdoor activities with a group of people, a small group of people. But uh, especially if you're thinking about uh, someone to play with a small child or something like that, uh, then a corona bubble makes sense, and I like that. But what she says overall is just limit the number of close contacts. Uh, you, you want to uh, uh, decide who you feel comfortable being around and uh, try to avoid the others. Number three, uh, also I thought really reasonable. She's, this, this one uh, probably generated as many questions as any other recommendation. Uh, and that was, she called it, manage your exposure budget. Risk is cumulative. Going forward, you'll need to make trade-offs. You choose activities that are important, 
skip things that might matter less. Think about managing the virus just as you manage a diet. If you want dessert, eat less for dinner. That never worked for me. Yeah, and I think it's it's really it's not like and so people said well what you're saying is that if I if I do three things then I'm going to get the virus or if I do two I won't is that what you're saying and she says no no you just realize everything carries risk and so you choose where you're going to spend your risk don't take risks where it's not needed make trade offs that are congruent with your larger health needs and priority if seeing my grandchild in the park means I can only go to the supermarket every other week well maybe that's a trade off I can take. It's not the thing about it is it's no one has an exchange list that says if you do this you can't do that. She's just saying all right, you have to decide where you're going to take risk. And and I do understand that. And it's particularly important if you're thinking about visiting an elderly friend or relative. You've got to think to yourself how much uh um, how can I help that person by limiting my risk? And she says, unfortunately, there's no magic number to determine your personal exposure budget or the cost of different actions. But think about your overall exposure budget when you make decisions to spend time with other people. And that made sense to me. So we've got. So what's your budget, Tony? Um, I've well, I'm, I'm blowing a little bit of it now. My uh, uh, daughter's in town from uh, New Jersey. Uh, we've it's sort of a bubble like situation because they have uh, they're pretty serious about avoiding exposure. They've kept the kids at home. Uh, we stay at home, uh, so we feel pretty comfortable. When you say their that. kids are home, they're in the kids are in New Jersey. Their kids, yeah, their kids. They kept their kids at home in New Jersey. Didn't get them out. Uh, uh, didn't uh, engage in a lot of risky behavior. Uh, New Jersey, southern New Jersey, has a pretty heavy case rate. Where they were, not so much. Uh, and so we decided that they wanted to come down. Their kids are absolutely bored out of their minds, uh, and uh, we have a farm, and so they came to visit. Perfect. Yeah, and that's that. We decided. That was that's risky, but on the other hand, if we don't do that, we're not going to see our grandchildren probably for a year. Um, so that's the budget. Number four, keep higher risk activities as short as possible. This makes a lot of sense. If you are going uh, to spend extended time in a poorly ventilated room with an infected person, you have a very substantial risk of catching the virus. So a brief exposure, if you pass someone on the sidewalk, uh, or somebody runs past your picnic table, uh, that's unlikely to make you sick. Very unlikely. Face-to-face contact. If you wear a mask and keep your close conversations short, you're probably okay. Uh, when health officials perform contact tracing, they typically look for people with whom you spend at least 15 minutes in close contact. So you try to keep things under 15 minutes, you have a lower risk than if you have a prolonged conversation. So am I on your list? You spend 15 minutes with me. We just did a show together. You're not in my bubble. Uh, this is a risk I'm willing to take for the good of humanity. Indoor exposure. In an enclosed space like an office, a birthday party, a restaurant, or a church, you can become infected from a person across the room if you share the same air for an extended period of time. There's no proven time limit, I mean, but again, Like contract, a recording studio? Yeah. Contact tracing guidelines, the average rate which we expel viral particles, is best to keep indoor activities like shopping or haircuts less than an hour, even shorter is better. So, the best you can do uh, is to keep your indoor activities with other people short, spend most of your time outdoors, uh, and limit your contacts. Tony, if this was, if there was ever something of this magnitude that was just built for you, this is it. You have to stay on your farm. You don't have to talk to people. I mean, is this not the perfect thing for you? The only person you can spend time with your wife and family. I personally, I've been having a ball. 
I really have. I mean, this uh, thing is just lined up. I mean, for me, so what this is doing, and we, we joke about this in the IT world. You know, the IT world is full of introverts, right? As you progress up the chain in the IT world, you have to get out of your introvert nature and go into more of an extroverted behaviors. And it's funny, a colleague of mine, we were talking about that, how he was a full-blown introvert when he started. And, and as he's moved up the ranks, he's become a full-blown extrovert now. And this is killing him. And it's kind of funny because 10 years ago, we would have all loved to go in a dark room, look at a monitor, and just work, 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 and don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. But now it's like we crave the human interaction and the talk and the being in the same room. You know, a meeting is just not the same online, not necessarily because you can't get business done, but... You're friends with people. Yeah. You, know, well, you miss those social cues. And there's nothing better than a – it drives you crazy when a meeting's got three different conversations going at the same time. But in the same token, that's what you're missing because yeah. you can't do that online. Yeah, that's uh, true. And, and uh, again, this uh, keep high-risk activities as short as possible. The thing you think about is the number of people, the volume of the space. Uh, again, a large uh, room, uh, an open-air space, high-flow ventilation is much better than a small meeting room. Uh, and uh, uh, try to, to make it as short as possible. So we've got then uh, know your numbers, uh, how uh, active the cases are in your area, limit your number of close contacts, manage your exposure budget. Again, think about uh, where you want to spend the risk. Keep the high risk activities as short as possible. And then finally, keep taking the general pandemic precautions. Some people uh, in uh, communities have stopped wearing masks, suspended social distancing, and returned to pre-pandemic socializing. Um, time will tell if the accounts start to rise. I mean, again, we're early in this. We'll see what happens. Uh, I personally and also uh, Tara Parker Pope uh, with the New York Times does not feel that it is time to relax these habits. Uh, we have made some progress uh, in uh, keeping this thing the worst from happening with this thing. Uh, but we are it, it could still it could all backfire if we stop doing what we're doing. She says, keep a mask handy. I keep one in my pocket. Um, practice distancing six feet apart when you're people who live outside your household. Keep your social activities outdoors. That is the best thing you could do, especially, again, if the weather's nice, per- absolutely perfect. Wash your hands frequently. It can be transmitted uh, through particles you get on your hands and then you touch your nose. That's not the main way it appears to be transmitted, but it still can do that. And be mindful about touching public surfaces, elevator buttons, handrails, subway poles, other high-touch areas. I have learned to go down the steps without, I mean, I've I, I spent years trying to avoid falls by holding onto the guardrail, and now I don't. And that, that was, you, you mentioned Do you really that. think that's that smart? Was, that was tough for me. Yeah. You really think it's smart not holding on? I mean, I, we're getting old, Tony. I, I don't have very good depth perception, and so I'm a stair counter. I've, I have been my whole life, and so I have to use the handrail coming down. I just can't. I mean, stairwells are one of those places where at the top and bottom of every stairwell, you're going to need hand hand sanitizer because you really do need to hold on to those rails and then try not to touch your face while you're going down the stairs. Get to the bottom, clean your hands. Yep. No arguments there. It's time for us to take another break. You're listening to Health Matters on Moorhead State Public Radio. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back. This is the third and final fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Shelley Irving. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver. This is the So Long and Thanks for All the Fish show, uh, our uh, final show before our summer hiatus. Tony, did I hear you talking to the station manager that this might be, we're pretty sure, this is show number 900. 
We started in 2003, uh, and you may remember at that time the uh, their transmitting tower was incapacitated after an ice storm. That's right. We our, uh, our regular microwave had more power than us. <laughs> we 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 uh, joked that we could have uh, opened the a, window and yelled. Uh, yelling out the window would have gotten us a larger audience than being on the radio at that time. And uh, we have now been doing this for uh, 17 years. Nine hundred hours of shows. It's embarrassing, isn't it? I don't think anything at all. I, you know what? I, there said. are times where I love to joke, <laughs> and I, our listeners love to hear us joke. But I'm not going to joke with that. That's pretty serious. And that's pretty impressive. 17 years we've been able to outlast some of those other shows. Yeah, I just think it's just a total uh, apathy on the part of the pub- listening public. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, I, I can't help it that we're such long-winded, free material. Yep. That we can consume an hour like nobody's business. Absolutely. And we will begin that with our sponsor, the American Cancer Society Guidelines for Diet and Physical Activity. Just a quick reminder, uh, they have changed their diet their uh, diet and physical activity recommendations mainly because uh, they uh, have uh, increased the emphasis on reducing consumption of processed and red meat, which is in, line, in alignment with the World Health Organization's International Agency for Research on Cancer. They classified this in 2015 as a processed meat as a carcinogen and red meat as a probable carcinogen. And also, there is increased emphasis on reducing the consumption of alcohol. They keep using that word reduce. They said uh, it is best not to drink alcohol. That's recommendation number four. But let's go through them all. Number one, achieve and maintain a healthy body weight throughout life. Obesity is a known carcinogen uh, causing a large number of cancers. The second best thing you can do to lower your risk of cancer behind stopping smoking. Number two, be physically active and limit sedentary behavior. Number three, follow a healthy eating pattern. And the healthy eating pattern limits or does not include red and processed meats, sugar-sweetened beverages, and highly processed foods and refined grain products. And number four, it is best, it is best, it is best not to drink alcohol. And then fifth, they recommended the community should support these things. That is, communities should provide people with a safe place to exercise, with healthy food, uh, and with non-alcoholic entertainment uh, in order to encourage people to uh, do the right thing. And uh, since we are all in this together, Perhaps we should think about ways that we can assist our friends and our neighbors and our relatives in lowering their risk of cancer by following these guidelines. Tony, do you you feel like a kid on the last day of school? You're getting ready to take summer break. I mean, I'm just curious if you were feeling like I'm anxious to get through this. Can't wait for the final bell and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but I got a few things to talk about first, you know, so we got to we got to squeeze in. Don't you always. Yeah, I mean, it's because if you think about it, I'm probably the teacher, right, on the last day. I you're kind. I kind of think oh, you're so, the teacher. Yeah. You're yeah. the principal. We're the teachers, right? And so what this means is we're going to give you your summer reading, uh, um, in order to uh, because we're about to leave. Uh, <laughs> this one, <laughs> take the flag down. We're out. <laughs> yeah, uh, this. Uh, you can argue this isn't about health, uh, but this is how airport screenings have changed since the pandemic. Uh, June 30th, uh, Christopher, Christopher Elliott, uh, and this is in the Washington Post. Uh, he flew into Austin, Texas, uh, and the fi- people whose final destination was Texas had to fill out a form for self-quarantining. So just sort of like you fill out the customs form when you're flying back into the United States. Uh, you had to fill out a quarantine form, and everyone else was free to go. And he said this. Uh, this is just bizarre. The TSA also asked to see the inside of my mask. And I will tell you, as a practicing physician who reads a lot of stuff, 
-hmm. I cannot imagine what they were looking for on the inside of his mask. Me either. It, it could just stay there. It, I mean, at yeah. this point. Yeah. Were you, they? But so so were they looking? F so what was their what was their goal in what they wanted to see? Do you think it was security or do you think it was health? I think it must have been health. Apparently, because they I thought, mean, I would think you're looking for mucus. You're looking for some kind of yeah. deposits, discoloration. You know, it, and we we should have. We're breaking for summer, and we have not talked about how to chew tobacco with a face mask. You shouldn't. But but you shouldn't chew tobacco right, anyway. Right. You shouldn't. <laughs> But it isn't it more of a health risk to expose the mask and flap it around. Not to the, not to the person who put the it. stuff in the mask. So it's only rate, if it's the TSA agent that's uh, there's putting some pretty strange risk. stuff going on. But there there are some practical things. Uh, first of all, uh, they now allow passengers to carry up to twelve ounces of hand sanitizer in a carry on bag. Well, don't um, you think that's a bit much for a two, two hour flight? <laughs> You're going to sanitize pretty much everything you see. You know, I could I could see that. To reduce the risk of infection, uh, passengers hold on to their boarding passes instead of handing them to the TSA agent at the uh, I've been using, document I've been using the mobile app, so I haven't handed my document to an I'm agent I'm always afraid my phone is going to die on the way or that the, the screen is going to rotate or something, and so I, I, I'm still a paper guy. Uh, wearing a mask permitted during screening, but you may need to lower it to verify your identity. Um, and uh, if travelers have prohibited items, uh, liquids, gels, or aerosols in quantity greater than 3.4 ounces that are not hand sanitizer, they actually have to take their bags and go outside of security and and remove them themselves. Yeah. The uh, the screeners will not uh, toss them in the trash can. You have to take go leave security. A uh, couple of other things, again, maybe not related to COVID-19. Uh, there is the TSA PreCheck, which works well if you have a TSA PreCheck lane. Yep. Some airports don't, and they now have what they call blended lanes, where if you are pre-checked, you, uh, you, you're you sort of Walt Disney World-like, you move to the front of the line. Right. It's a wonderful um, thing. Yep. Uh, they have started to screen food more closely. Uh, solid food snacks still allowed. Uh, but in mid-June, uh, they will begin. They began asking passengers to remove carry-on food items from their bags and place them in a bin for separate screening. It has been difficult to uh, determine the groceries and foods uh, if you just leave it in the bag. I can um, see a time where anything that's not in its original packaging is probably not going to be allowed, or that the original patch packaging has been opened. Yeah. I can see where they won't let you do that. I, that um, makes so the picnic on a plane yeah. thing. You, yeah, you won't be changed. You won't be taking your saran wrapped sandwiches with you. Um, they looking ahead, uh, October first, they start enforcing the real ID requirement. Uh, again, there are 15 alternatives to a real ID compliant driver's license and a passport's one of them, but you will have to have something other than your just old fashioned driver's license. And Kentucky does offer a real ID finally driver's license. Yeah. And, well, and, and coincidentally, I think the driver's license agencies are now back opened up again. So you can actually get that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, possible additional requirements, mandatory personal protective equipment, temperature checks, social distancing, and certainly more security checkpoints in line. Uh, in the coming weeks and months, airports may limit access to their terminals to passengers only. You can't go meet somebody at the airport anymore. Uh, and fit-to-fly checks, thermal checks, uh, general health checks, possible viral tests. I mean, if you're going to be on a long flight. Hmm. Uh, they'll be crude out of the gate, but uh, they will become more sophisticated. And there is this guy, uh, Bruce McIndoe, founder of World Aware, is a risk management company. 
He says he sees a not-too-distant future in which health screeners might even administer CT scans of the lungs before allowing passengers to board. No way. I don't think so. No way. I There's no way that happens. That, that is somebody who doesn't understand the radiation effects of that. Yes. You cannot get CT'd a bunch of times in your life. Well, I, I, so to me, the, the, the present, uh, looking at the inside of the mask, which doesn't give any information that I think is beneficial, uh, it just tells you, you know, how much, how bad a person's breath is. <laughs> right. I think. Uh, and then the idea that we're going to, uh, as Rick said, we're going to irradiate people uh, without, uh, uh, I mean, you know. You, you With know, no I mean, medical need. Yeah, medical, there's no medical need for it. And you know yourself. I mean, you're supposed to, even if there's a medical need, you're supposed to limit the radiation. Absolutely. And record it. Uh, and so uh, the idea, you're just going to go through an airport just glowing. I mean, I mean, think about a frequent traveler, someone who works in New York and lives in L.A. I mean, that that, that is not that uncommon. I mean, yeah. it doesn't, I mean, granted, it's not millions of people doing it, but there are people that do that, and there's no way they would subject, subject those people to five CTs a week. Granted. Uh, yeah. So I thought uh, a little bit of excess there, but a couple of things you need to know. Uh, uh, things have changed some uh, now, and they will be changing more in October as well. Um, next up, the Washington Post, June 10th. Um, scientists, of course, rushing to develop vaccines. Of course. And one of the problems with a vaccine is you have to test it for effectiveness and safety. It's going to take thousands of people. You're not going to see that in the first 10 people you vaccinate, right? Right. And they said, um, and this is, I think, a good and bad thing together. It's mostly good. Um, Outbreaks are getting too small to quickly determine whether vaccines work. I mean, when New York was basically lit up with COVID-19, you could walk into any hospital or a health care center and vaccinate everybody, and you would know pretty quickly whether the vaccine worked. Now, with these more isolated outbreaks in nursing homes, uh, in um, meat processing plants, in uh, uh, um, public uh, prisons and, and places like that, um, it is much more difficult to get the numbers you need to test a vaccine. Well, isn't that what happened with the previous coronaviruses, MERS and SARS? They just didn't hang around long enough, right? Yeah. Now, not saying that it's going away, but just simply saying that that the 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 an entire city wide outbreak, we now know how to distance, how to use masks, and control that, and so the chances of getting that to test your vaccine are much smaller. At this point, then, if you go and test a prison or you test a nursing home, that's a whole different thing from testing an entire city, and so the numbers are dropping, and so really, it's going to make it harder to develop a vaccine. So, do you it's think go- they'll? they'll give up or do you think they'll have everything ready to go and if there's a second surge a second wave that they'll i mean they they have to test it in some way they have to get their numbers up but it will be more difficult than uh uh, you know if they had something ready to go during that first wave we could have learned a lot now we're going to have to uh, go facility by facility i think and again the second wave when things get cold if we open reopen schools uh, all bets are off. Maybe there will be a uh, uh, cities being devastated. It just seems to me like we all know what we need to do. And if we do that well, uh, then we're going to see more limited outbreaks, uh, uh, maybe uh, limited to an institution of some sort rather than a, a citywide outbreak. Well, that's a nice problem to have, I think. But uh, uh, if, uh, vaccines, the idea we will have uh, a million doses of a vaccine a hundred million doses of a vaccine by the end of the year. That is well, going to but, be a. But trip. what are the odds of having a working vaccine on the first try? 
I mean, I just don't see that happening. I, I, I think you're right, Tony. I think they're not going to be able to effectively test. I think they're, some of the parameters may change. There's so much that goes into making a vaccine that the first one we get just going to be, I mean, it, you know. I don't. I don't. I don't have a. I don't think it has a strong chance of success. Right. I mean, we we talk about what they call herd immunity. You got to get sixty to seventy percent of your people have to have uh, antibodies, uh, ability to fight off this thing, uh, before you're going to stop spreading it. And we've seen. Uh, we even in New York, we're I think we're looking in the twenty percent range uh, that tested positive, and, and uh, so we're nowhere near that uh, in terms of natural immunity. And then so we thought, well, we'll vaccinate. If we can vaccinate 50, 60 percent of the people plus the natural immunity, maybe that'll do it. But that vaccine is going to be very difficult to test and determine safety. I think safety they could do, but uh, effectiveness is going to be a different matter, again, if we're all doing what we're doing now and the, the rates don't climb. So uh, I, it's, you know, I, I would buy an assortment of masks. <laughs> beef up the game room uh, put in a patio whatever you need to uh, enjoy well, life personal recommendation is you should buy a small farm because there's never a time where there isn't something you can do That's and it true. is so much fun well I mean you know I have differing opinions I, I, I enjoy it but there are times where it's like I wished another tree wouldn't fall uh, you know, I really, you know, there's times where you'd like to enjoy it and not just spend all your time working on it. Apparently, when a tree falls in the woods, Rick hears it. Apparently. Yeah. Yes. And so. has to respond to it. Yeah, has to respond. That's all we know. And, and, you know, with COVID being the way it is, I can't even call my friends to come help me. <laughs> <laughs> just put them in your Corona not bubble. Not that I have yeah, any. Yeah, put them in your, put, corona, put bubble. In your corona bubble. Not hey, that you're I in my have Corona any. bubble. You got a chainsaw. <laughs> Just to let you know you. I don't, I don't need the chainsaw. I need the chainsaw operator. Yeah, there you go. All right, this one. Speaking of that, and this is sort of a. Uh, uh, this was a very timely thing published in the British Medical Journal, uh, Geriatrics, June uh, published ninth of June, uh, and this is from uh, Gothenburg in uh, Sweden, and they they had a, a register uh, of people who were seventy year olds born in nineteen thirty. Uh, they started the, collecting the data in 2000, and they followed them through uh, 2012. And they asked them very simply. They had, a, they had an expert psychiatrist, but uh, there was asked them really one question uh, as a part of their intake. Do you feel lonely? And the answer was never, seldom, sometimes, and very often. And then they said, well, if you're never or seldom, that uh, means you're not lonely. And if you're sometimes or very often, that means you're lonely. So they took these lonely and not lonely senior citizens, and they followed them to see if loneliness increases your risk of dying. And as I said, extremely timely. A lot of us are wondering what, uh, uh, with our, our senior, with our elderly relatives, what does loneliness do? Perceived loneliness: seventeen percent of men and thirty-one percent of women. Does that surprise you, Shelley? What were no. the numbers again? Seventeen percent of men, thirty-one percent of women. Okay. It doesn't surprise me. I always thought women, and pardon me, uh, I will get comments on this, more uh, social. You know, yeah, yeah, they, I, they are more social, but I think it, I think that's part of the problem. So as it gets harder to get out or as, it, as people stop coming over, they're not able to come over and engage in ways that are um, familiar, then I think that's where the problem is. After they control for everything else, 
no significant increased risk of mortality seen for men with loneliness compared to men without loneliness. There's no chance the men lied? There's always a chance, and, and there's a possibility that they missed it. Maybe if they talked to more men and got better numbers, they might have been able to clear it, but the, at least there's not a major effect. On the other hand, increased risk of cardiovascular mortality in women with loneliness compared to those without. It was about twice as much, and it remained significant even when they adjusted for other conditions. So it looks like you're, if you have a male senior citizen relative, uh, their risk is uh, not as much, but they're not as likely to be lonely either. We're going to leave you... I was to say, that's where our 900th show is going to end. <laughs> alone to alone ponder alone. the problems on loneliness. of loneliness. <laughs> Take it away, Rick. Oh, my. Special thanks to our Moorhead State Public Radio producers, Greg Jenkins and Paul Hitchcock, and to Eric Bilbury, who wrote our Health Matters theme song, and what a great theme song it has been. And to you, our loyal radio fans, remember to show your support for Health Matters by visiting our digital empire. To listen to the show, go to wmky.org. Or visit us on Facebook. Just do a search for HM Radio Show. For our radio crew and the supported folks at the Northeast AHEC, thanks for listening to our show. And remember these top ten tips to be healthy at Health Matters. Stay healthy at Health Matters. Only turn your radio off for essential tasks, such as shopping for groceries. Avoid crowds and gatherings. If you see a large group of people listening to Health Matters, run away. Practice social distancing. Remain six feet away from your radio while listening to our show. Know when to seek care. Follow your doctor's recommendations if Health Matters makes you nauseated. Visit HM Radio Show on Facebook. Stay up to date with the with Health Matters recommendations. Wash radios and surfaces. Wash your radio thoroughly after our show. Apply for benefits. There may be someone who will pay you to listen to the radio. It could happen. Prioritize mental health. Maybe you should just not listen to Health Matters at all. Do not, do not, do not travel. The safest place for you and others is front is in front of your radio. Try not, to leave the re- try not to leave the room while the radio is on. Report noncompliance. If your neighbors are not listening to Health Matters, call the radio station immediately. Whatever you do, wear a mask and tune in next week for more exciting news from the world of medical research on Moorhead State Public Radio.